be seated. Written in 1899 by Lewis E. Jones, There's Power in the Blood is based on Paul's letter to the Colossians. In the first chapter, he was writing about thanksgiving and prayer. In verses 13 to 15, we read, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this time of year where we celebrate, and every Sunday that we come together, we celebrate your resurrection. And also the coming to this earth and putting your body out there, not only your body, but your whole being, and taking the hit for us that we deserve that should send us to hell. But Father, we are so grateful for the marvelous gift that you sent to us, your son, Jesus Christ who propitiated, expiated, took all the way our sin and washed it away and have given us eternal life and to be your, called your children. As sinful, we still ground doing, Lord, that you love us. Amazing grace, God. Thank you for this time together as we celebrate that power of the blood that washed us clean. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you for even a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonderful power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power.
we're saying a dear thank you to you all for standing with us and believing in God. Thank you. Last Saturday was a very big day in which they finally did release us. We have some legal papers to deal with and other, thing, other things to do. But um, and just so grateful that God was gracious to let us go and move to uh, a, a a denomination that we feel more aligned with theologically and that we can truly express who we are and feel proud to be part of. Uh, this has been a long journey. It's been a disappointing journey with some of my friends, but it's been a wonderful journey to know that we've made it through and God has been good and he's carried us on. So now is the time to start working towards the advancement of God's kingdom. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks and praise for being such a gracious God and for giving us the brothers and sisters in Christ here and throughout the world that we can share our desire to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, if there's anybody in this room today that does not know you, that today they will not leave this place without knowing you personally and as a good friend, as the one who took on our sin and guilt and washed away all our sin. We thank you, God, for the privilege that we have, that we know for certain because of what Jesus Christ did and what he promised, and as we believe in him and his words, that we have that wonderful joy of eternal life. And that we have no fear of death. And we thank you also too for the privilege that we have to live life to its fullest. And experience it with great joy because you're by our side and we're not alone. And today especially Lord as we take communion remind us of all these wonderful things that you've done for us. And for the wonderful blessings of life and food and clothing and happiness, air conditioning and heat. All those things, Lord, that we take so for granted and yet many don't have. We thank you, God. And today, Heavenly Father, we also bring to you those who we know that are struggling in their lives. We pray especially for our nation. It's very troubled, Lord. Uh, we're concerned about not only, Lord, the economics, but the spiritual, social underpinnings of this nation. I pray, Father God, that you'll give us wisdom in this church to address that in our area and to be able to stand firm and help encourage people to see the value of knowing you and what you've given to us. We give you praise too, Lord, for those men and women who continue to battle for us, who put their lives on the line over in foreign lands to protect us and to protect our democracy, but also here in this land too that protect us in our communities from ill will and hurt. Keep them safe. Today, Lord, I want to pray especially for also those in our church that are able to get out here for Bill, for Evelyn, for Lucille, for Karen, for Kay, for Joyce. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your love for them and their watching over them and for the kind people in this congregation that reach out to them. We pray also, too, for those, Lord, that are going to be undergoing health issues right now. I think of our sister Judy, who's going to be getting surgery on her foot. 
I pray for James who had stents checked out and they all worked out. I think of my brother Sam and his eyes continue to heal them. I pray also too for Doug and the struggles he's having right now. I thank you, Lord, for Todd, who collapsed at the Y but was brought back to life and had two surgeries this week. Lord, we just give you praise and we pray for his healing. We pray for his wife also who's battling cancer. We pray also for Mark Dops. I pray for his cancer, for Samantha. For these folks, Lord, as they battle their own, in their own journey, Lord, that they feel your presence and you send your healing to them. We also want to pray, Lord, for those who are struggling with addiction. I pray especially for Ryan and for Jordan and for David and for Eric and Ricky and Mitch. These who are under the grip and are struggling immensely and can't get out. That they would look to you, Jesus, the source and strength. I pray also, too, Lord, for all of our lives, our grandchildren, our children, our friends. Lord, we pray that we can have a special influence on their lives and that we can show them the truth through the way we live and what we say. And they can find peace in their hearts. I pray for a little girl who's still recovering from jumping off a building in my brother's school. I pray for her and for not only the healing of her body, but of her heart. I pray also, too, Lord, for another young man who fell off a balcony at K-State, Lord, for his healing. And, Lord, there's other people that we know that are going through some difficulties in their life right now. As we lift them up by name, Lord, you know who they are. Lord, hear our prayers. And now, Father God, open up your word to us. Help us to hear what we need to hear, to understand what we need to understand. And that your Holy Spirit teaches us and help us to be open to his Spirit's movement in our hearts. And it's through you, Jesus, I pray this boldly. Amen. Newsweek magazine published a, an article by Elisa Miller. And the title of it is, We Are All Hindus Now. And this was right off the heels of President Obama at the time saying that Americans are no longer Christians. And the evaluation had been done in 2008 that 76% still claimed to be Christians, which was the lowest it's ever been. And back in 2021, about a year and a half ago, it has dropped to 63% of people who claim it is the lowest in American history. Now, America is not Hindu. It's not Muslim. It's not Jewish. We're finding, though, folks, is that there are Americans who claim to be Christians are Hindus in this sense, and this was her main part of her article, is that we've climbed the mountaintop and we've created the smorgasbord like Hindus do, that they have many gods. 
and they grab what they want from different gods and put it in their life because it's not a matter whether it's true or not. What's important to America today is whether it's practical and it works. And you see, here's the problem. That the words that Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me is very exclusive. It's flat out darn exclusive. And the world has a trouble with that. Even Christians. 65% of Christians agree that religions lead people to eternal life. But they believe that all religions do that. When Jesus says, I'm the only way. 37% of white evangelicals claim that. Most people in America today believe that they're spiritual, but they're not religious. And you see, this whole idea is about orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means right belief. And in America, it's what works. Well, if it gives me peace for me to go to Catholic Mass, but then I can go to yoga classes and it gives me a little more strength, and then if I can go to a Buddhist retreat, it all works together for the good. But that's not what Jesus says. He says that our belief is not some divine cafeteria where we can pick and choose what we want. It's very exclusive. There is no other leader in the history of mankind that came to earth claimed to die for mankind, to forgive the sins by giving his blood on the cross, experiencing the wrath of God on the cross, and then coming back to life again. That is why the Apostles' Creed holds out the very strong teaching that Jesus Christ came to this world incarnately through a virgin, so that he was sinless, and was able to conquer all sin. And so he was born of a virgin Mary. And that he suffered in this life. He experienced the pains of life like you and I have. And then he died. He was buried. And then on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and gave us eternal life. No other religion has ever done that. No other religious leader has ever done that. Only Jesus Christ. And the scary thing for me is, as I go out into the streets and I meet people, their biggest concern is not with what's going to happen to me in the end, is what's going to make me happy now. Now, are we all Hindus? I hope not. I hope not in this room. But you want to ask yourself some good, interesting questions I was reading. And this one fellow said, ask your congregation that in 20 seconds, can they name the Ten Commandments? Maybe not. Would it take us a half hour, an hour 
Could we put them together? And yet these are the foundation stones of the very freedom that we share in this room as American Christians. And today we're going to look at what God has done to provide not only for Israel and their freedom, but for us as Christians, as free people in a wonderful democracy, in a great world that we live in, that is shutting down. And our rights are being diminished. And the values are going. And one of the things that we need to remember is whose we are. We are people, as the Israelites were, are people who are called. Called out of darkness into marvelous light. Called out of slavery to sin. And given this victory that we can have over Satan and our own temptations and the systems of this world. As we call upon Christ and He fills us with His marvelous being of Holy Spirit into our hearts. And God wanted His people that day at Sinai to know who they were. It's so important to know who you are and where you come from. In order for you to be proud and to know for certain what you have. And so here they are at Sinai now. God had called Moses to the mountain. The Bible tells us, and Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thou, thus shalt you say to the house of Jacob, tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests. And the holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to your children of Israel. Now folks, God gave these words specifically to Israel. And it's amazing to me that in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter repeats those same words to us as Christians. To remind us of whose we are. And the special place we have on this earth. And that we're not to sit by a TV set with a remote control and enjoy what we've got. That's fine. But that's not the end all. But that we're to be a different people than the rest of the world. And that we care differently. And that we live differently, not for ourselves, but for our Lord and for the people around us. And that we share ourselves and give ourselves for his glory and we have a very specific pattern to follow here when the children of Israel finally came to Sinai and God freed them from Pharaoh and the the Egyptian army was wiped out and of course we know we've talked about it the last two weeks how they struggled 
with trusting God by faith because they were without, they got water and it was brackish. It was harsh. And he fixed that. Then they didn't have any bread or meat. And God, who loves his people, provided for them. And then again, they ran into again another water problem. And out in the middle of the desert, he has Moses crack the rock and the water comes flowing out. And they battle their first war with Amalek, who was a problem for Israel for years. But God won the battle for them by having Aaron or having Joshua and her holding up his arms. And every time his arms were up, they were winning the battle and they won it against the Amalekites. That's our God. And what he says to them here, you're my special people. Peter wants us to understand that this gracious, loving, patient, long-suffering God is our God too. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to the cross. And had he's put a special mark on our lives. And we, as the illustration comes here, God is like the parent of, of an eagle, of a baby eagle. And they will let them stay in the safety and security of that nest for a while. But then it's time to grow up. And that eagle will push that baby out hundreds of feet to let it drop and try to find its wings. And when it's not catching those wings, that mother will fly right underneath it and catch it on its back and bring it back up and give it another try. Until that eagle gets the wings to become the strongest bird in the world. That's what God does and wants for us. And even sometimes you may be disappointed in yourself and feel like, well, I failed. I've, I've fallen and I'm still got, getting this wing thing. Uh, he's still there by you, picking you up and carrying you because he wants you to get it. He wants you to be strong because the job he's got for you are the people that you hang with. Nobody else has been put there but you as their missionary. And God has put you there for a purpose. And you're his treasured possession. He's chose you. Do you know what it's like for a person to be adopted? What adopted child's like? They have not been wanted by anybody. In fact, their parents push them away. But when you're adopted, we had a set of twins. Who, in fact, I still see one of the gal's husbands who's dying right now. And she shared with me one time, here they were two little girls, frail, twins. And their mother didn't want them. Pushed them out to the curb. And then there was this beautiful little couple. The Ambergs. 
for God's reason we don't know, probably for them. <laughs> they weren't able to have children. And when they saw those two little baby girls, their hearts gushed. They couldn't wait to see them and to hold them and to take them in their arms and care for them to the day they left this life. And they felt so special because here this couple chose them. It didn't come from her body. It was... They couldn't have that happen. But they chose these two little girls who they cared and they loved and enfolded in their lives and grew them up to be fine, mature women. You see, that's what God does with us. We have been brought into God's family by adoption. Some people say, well, yeah, I love God because he made me and I'm God's. Not really. See, until Christ, through his blood, adopts you and makes you his child, you're part of the world. Yes, you've been created by him. But you're stranded. Without him, you're stranded. And yet, God says through Jesus Christ, I accept you. You're my baby. And then he says to Israel, you see, why did God not choose the Egyptians? And why did he choose this little group of people called Israelites? Because nobody wanted the Israelites. Oh, everybody wanted the Egyptians. They had it all going on. But you see, God chose this nation that was nothing because of his grace alone. And he adopted her. She became his, his own possession because she had nothing to give him. Just like us. I know I have nothing to give God. He sees Dave Henyon as just this pathetic, pathetic sinner. <laughs> but you know what's wonderful? It was anything good he saw in me. It's the good he saw in his son Jesus Christ, whose blood could wash me and adopt me and say, You're my child. And this is what he says to Israel, and he says to you and me, You're his treasured possession. And he's put inside of you the love of Christ. Now what are we going to do with it? That you're a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? That we're all going to get black outfits down, put little white dinghies in here? Dinghies, where did I come up with that? Well, what is he saying? He says that you are the bridge point for those who are far off, those who do not know him. You are the one 
who they go to. It's always funny, and it, it never ceases to amaze me. You're the one that they make fun of because you got your Bible maybe at the office. But when the stuff hits the fan, hey, could you come down to my office, man? I gotta talk to you. We got this thing in my family. Would you mind praying for me? You're the priest. You're the priest of God here. Bridging the gap for them. Because they don't know how to do it. Oh no, yeah, they're going to make fun of you when their things are riding high. But man, when panic button hits, who are they calling? Not the Ghostbusters. They're calling you. Because you're the bridge. When they failed in their marriage, when they failed at life, who do they come to? I hope they see that in you because that's what we're called to be. We're the priest. We're a kingdom of priests that bridges the gap between them and God and brings them to Him. And that we're a holy nation. We're different. We're other. Because you see, we don't get involved with certain things. We don't give ourselves to certain things. And they know it. I can tell you time and time again. When I was a young person. Even now. When I was in college, you know, college is one of those places your parents are paying for you to do whatever you want, and it's, it can really be crazy. And I can remember friends, guys who I was even with fellow Christian athletes. Oh, oh, Dave, why don't you just have one drink? Why? Because they were feeling guilty. And I was trying to show them that we are wholly other. We don't get sloppy drunk. We don't act like the fool. In fact, my roommate and I were very, he was a very strong believer also. And what basically happened is we became the bouncers at all the parties. And let me tell you something. If you're not convinced not being acting like that, just be a bouncer at that party just one night. They act the fool. And then you got to take them to the emergency room because they got this big wad on their head. And they have no idea how it happened. Even though there's a little bit of concrete in there from the floor. Because they've acted the fool. And we're holy. We're different. And that they see that difference in our lives. They see the way we handle our marriages. They see the way we handle our children. They see the way we live our lives. They see the way we work. Oh, why are you working so hard? I'll never forget my dad was in the union, the IBEW union. And his company went on strike. And he was given a job with the union. And his shop store called him in his office the first day. What are you doing? He says, I'm doing my job. You told me what to do. He says, that's not how we work. 
we told you in this building that we're building that you got to go around and look and make sure you can find the light bulb that's burned out. Okay. And then get a ladder and put it up and then go back and get the light bulb and bring it and screw it and, and then take the one you screwed out and take it back. Then you go take the ladder back to the regular station. He was being yelled at because he'd carry the ladder, have the bag of bulbs, and he was replacing them very quickly. And they were upset with him because he was breaking the union rules. Instead, he told his shop steward that he works for Jesus. <laughs> and that's a different work ethic. You don't work to satisfy your boss. You have a higher standard of work ethic because you work for Jesus and not for the boss. Ephesians chapter 6, read it, 5. 1 Corinthians, read it. We work for the glory of God. And so people see the difference because we're set apart. We're holy. And we're willing to put ourselves out there and trust God. You see it with people. I, I've had some friends who've lost loved ones. And what a wonderful way they treat their parents at the end of life. And they treat them with such respect. And, 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 and they deal with all the stuff of closing. And when a parent dies, and they treat their brothers and sisters well uh, in the distribution of all the stuff. And there's other people who rob. They steal from their family while they're dying in the hospital. My friend who works for the Attorney General's office here in, in the state of Kansas, he said, well, you wouldn't believe what people do as their parent is dying in the hospital and what they do with their money or their, what they have left and that they have to prosecute them. And a lot of families are reluctant to do that. Because they're working under a different system. You see, they're not doing it for the glory of God and caring for and honoring their parents like the Bible says. No, they're, they're ripping them off. So we're a people of holiness. Then the Lord said, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Now this washing of clothes is not so easy. You know, we have washing machines down the hall. We throw it in, it's washed, and we dry it and within an hour and a half. <laughs> they didn't have water. They didn't have an extra set of clothes. And God is saying to them, clean up now. Change your ways. Sanctify your life. Set it apart. Wash your clothing. And then I'm going to set bounds around the bottom of the, the base of the mountain. You shall set Bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves so that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. God is trying to teach these folks. There's just certain places you do not go. And when God says no, you don't do it. And then he says... It came to pass that the third day of the morning there was a thundering and lightning and the thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet with a very loud voice and so that all the people 
who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. They're ready to listen, God. See, they see the storm. They know that he's there. And he's ready to deal with his people. There may be certain things in your life that God wants you to deal with. And you want to know God more in one way, but then again, you don't want to know him if it's something that you've got to do to change. Oh, it's easy when we're enthusiastic and we're excited to get close to the mountain, to meet with God. But then when we hear what he has to say, it's be pretty hurtful. That means for us to change. And that we have to be set apart. And we have to deal with stuff inside of us. But you see, this is the beauty of it. God puts us in those places. Just like the children of Israel. Because he loves us. And there are things we do in our lives that we don't realize they are reactions to things that have happened into our lives. There are reactions to feelings that we've never had felt before. And yet we can do foolish things. That's why, folks, if you don't have a time where you get with close with God and every day say to him like David did, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Because he will help you. He'll save you from disaster in your life. If you're going to listen to him. And deal with that painful event. Or that hurtful event. Or that bitterness in your heart that you have towards somebody. That's what God does. And when we listen, things really change. Healing comes. I was reading about how God's law... And I don't think we're going to do the Ten Commandments this morning. There's too much in there that we need to go over. That's why God gave us the Ten Commandments. They're not the Ten Suggestions. They're not the Ten Ways to Have a Successful and Happy Life. It's the Ten Commandments to walk in His ways and to live for Him. And what happens is when we try to sidestep them, when we try to walk around them or do our own thing, and we try to ignore what he's saying, we have problems. And yet God blesses the children of Israel and says, you follow these. You're going to see things, wonderful things happen when you do it my way. 
back in 1840, at the medical center in Europe, Austria, Vienna, Austria, that was supposedly the MD Anderson, the Rochester of the world those days. And there was a young doctor who began to study because he noticed the death of young mothers who were caring for their babies. And he could not understand, and the medical community was baffled, why these moms were dying. And he began to look at the routines of the doctors and go over some of the stuff that they had been doing. And one day he finally realized what it was. What the doctors would do when they come towards the hospital, the first thing they would do is they would go into the morgue and they would check all the bodies that had died. And they'd check them and see what was the cause of death. And then they would go see the mothers who had just given birth without washing their hands. Now we know Years later, Pascal came out and talked about germs and what they did. And he told doctors what they needed to do was wash their hands. <laughs> they thought he was crazy. They laughed at him. They put him down. But as he got some doctors to do it, the mortality rate of the babies and mothers shot up. They weren't dying. And finally, after his death, they actually believed it and saved many babies and mothers' lives because those germs didn't enter into the scene. And this is what God has done for us. He's called us to be his special people. He's called us to be a royal priesthood for our friends and our loved ones. And he's called us to walk in a holiness that's different than the world. And that makes a huge difference, not only to the world, but here today. And I want to encourage you. One of your assignments is this week is to talk to some of your friends about what they know about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> what they know about their rights. Ask them if they realize, and we're going to talk about this next week, but 35% of the quotations in the Constitution of the United States is from the Bible. Those standards need to be held. That's the foundation for a culture, for this great America, this great experiment <laughs> has been kept together because of those values. And the scary part, there are people who have no clue about them. I had somebody who was very educated 
say to my wife and I the other day, they have a master's degree. They said to us, well, why would we ever listen to some phrases that were given 3,500 years ago and follow them today? Because they work. Because it's the foundation of a society that is coming apart at the wheels. That is chucking those values out. And holding on to their own pleasurable values that are destroying our society? Could that be the reason why? Folks, remember this this week. You're a treasured possession of God. Don't ever let anybody tell you differently. God says you are my treasure. And that he died on the cross for you. So that you could be holy. Set apart. Washed by the blood of the lamb. And that you can be a priest. You're his priest. In the world that you go into. You're the only Bible that the people read. You're the one. Be it. And that you are his holy possession. Live that way. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that you have given us such a wonderful calling. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be afraid. Because we're not alone. You empower us with your Holy Spirit to do the wonderful things that you call us to do. The people that you put in front of us every day. The broken people, the hurt people. And those who are so satisfied with their lives that they don't even know they're in trouble. And that, Lord Jesus, we can honor you. And that we can show them the glory of God. The way we act, the way we treat others, and the way we love them. Jesus, give us the strength. In your name we pray. Amen. At this time we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. It's been given to us so that we remember what Jesus has done for us. That we have communion with Christ every day. He's with us all the way. And that we have a sure hope when life is taken. We come to remember the Lord Jesus Christ, who was sent of the world by the Father to assume our flesh and blood and to take on himself the debt and the guilt and the sin for us so that we could be pure. We also come here to have communion with him who's with us every day and is by our side when we receive this bread and the cup. 
And we come with hope, with great confidence for the future, and that we have you, and that's all we need. It's at this moment that we rejoice in you, God. And Lord, as we partake, may we sense your presence, your high calling on our lives, and the joy we share with you. Amen. The Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us. Amen. Also, the cup which he supped was the communion of the blood of Christ that was spilled on our behalf to wash away our sins. And free us from our guilt.
remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ that washed away all our sins. Lord, it's been good to be here, to be here with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to partake in this wonderful ceremony of what you did for us, how we were made to be your children. We love you, God, and we know that's only possible because you loved us first, and we thank you for that. And through Christ, we pray this all. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit empower you today and forever. Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory.